Hey there, and welcome to episode two of We Can Do This. This is Sean Pritzkow, and I'm really excited to have Dana Snyder on the podcast today. Dana's worked with some really awesome organizations like Movember, Dress for Success, Sports Illustrated, American Idol, some really cool work that you'll hear all about. And it's funny because Dana and I actually met through her previous boss. So we'll actually talk about the story of her leaving her corporate job and starting her own business. So if you're in the middle of a transition or are starting your own venture, then this is going to be a really good episode for you to tune into. So let's jump into this episode today with Dana Snyder. All right. Hey, I'm here with Dana Snyder on the podcast today. Dana Snyder is an entrepreneur, a digital strategist, and a passionate, conscious consumer. She founded Positive Equation in 2017 with a focus on helping nonprofits cultivate passionate online audiences of donors, partners, and advocates using social media. Currently based in Atlanta, Dana has worked with Movember, Dress for Success, USTA, Honest Company, Sports Illustrated, American Idol, the Global Food Banking Network, the Gary Sinise Foundation, LA84 Foundation, and many more on their digital strategies. Dana is a member of the Purpose Collaborative, an invitation-only global group of 40-plus boutique firms, consultancies, and subject matter experts, all passionate about social purpose. So Dana, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me. It's always so crazy listening to somebody read off my bio and be like, wow. I can't yeah, you've done all these things. I've done all these things. I know. It's so funny. Like when you're in it, it's just all happening, right? And then when you, you never really take a moment to look back and look at the full scope of everything. So thanks for reading that. <laughs> yeah. So you've done some really cool things. Do you want to take a second and just introduce us to your background and how did you end up where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of grew up on mission trips in church. And so I always had this love for giving back. There's that feeling that you get when you're giving, but then also you're receiving so much. And I think that always kind of stuck with me leading into my career. So I started working at a nonprofit straight out of college, a small team, team of four. So I totally get them small, but mighty teams. Um, and then I took off to Manhattan. I always had this desire to live in New York city. So I kind of pushed my way through, uh, was very tenacious and worked for four profit companies, a couple different agencies. And then slowly after about five years, I realized I wanted to get back into working in the nonprofit space. And I don't even know how to describe it. I just had this like inkling that I wanted to do it on my own. So it, the timing of this podcast is actually really serendipitous that it's the four year anniversary of Positive Equation. Amazing. So happy anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. Where I did my march up to my boss's office, which is how actually we know each other, which is so cool. And I told her I was quitting and she asked me, where are you going? Because I had only known being an employee somewhere, right? So assumption is you're going to go work at another company and I was like, I'm going to start my own thing. And she was like, oh, wow. Like, what clients do you have? And I said, none. <laughs> so it's really cool. Like when you read the bio, I really believe in the nature of relationships. And then that's how I started Positive Equation four years ago, really focusing my experience working in digital in the for-profit space and nonprofit, and then kind of taking all my experiences and skills 
and working with nonprofits in my own business. So that's what I do. So with Positive Equation, I help nonprofits really cultivate passionate online communities, grow online fundraising efforts, and grow passionate advocates for their causes. Awesome. Well, very cool. And thanks so much for sharing about your background. And, you know, some people that are listening to this today might be on different sides of that story, right? They may be ready to march up to their boss's office and make a transition, or they just had that experience. Or some of us get the opportunity to look back and think about when we made a significant transition into what we're doing now. So tell us a bit about how do you serve these clients, right? You have a a really amazing roster of organizations that you worked with. What are some of the ways that you help them with social media and their digital strategy? Yeah. So, and to that point, I mean, I've been so fortunate to be connected with these organizations. I think at one point, I remember I was living in Los Angeles, so I've bounced around the country quite a bit. But at one point I had a client roster where I was working with a client trying to end hunger and homelessness, trying to bridge the gap between equality in sports, human trafficking. And I just remember at one point I was like, this is so cool. Like this is my job, trying to amplify these positive stories of change. And I was like, it doesn't get any better than this. And so how I help companies is it's interesting. It's shifted over the years. I started based upon what I knew, right? Which was the agency model of things. And then now today I've kind of switched over the four years to be more of a consultant. So what I've found is different about my strategy and approach is I love data. I am a data nerd. (laughs) And so I focus my strategies based on data, based on the numbers. And one of the ways that I work with clients is I do these really comprehensive deep dive social media audits that really go into competitive analysis, looking at your owned channels, looking at social listening in themes in the industry, and then asking organizations, what are you trying to achieve? What are your business goals? And then based on those goals, how do we achieve them through social and digital efforts? And I think often there's this disconnect between our goal is to raise awareness, but we don't know how to properly measure that on social. So I help bridge that gap with those teams. And then also I'm super excited and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but is I'm launching a mastermind program called Missions to Movements. And I'm really focusing on those two programs. And the mastermind is six months long for nonprofit leaders, and they get to bring on a digital staff. It's really about expanding your mindset, creating sustainable processes and systems. And I'm bringing on 12 incredible guest coaches into that too for the session. So it's been interesting transitioning into what I've realized I love and what I love and has kind of been the through line and I'm sure any listeners can relate to this, is I've gotten to where I am because of the relationships I have with people. So many of the companies you listed was because someone introduced me to someone on that team. It wasn't like I was cold calling these organizations, fortunately. And so like the mastermind is kind of this like culmination of these guest coaches. I mean, they're from Charity Water and News Story and Movember and experts in their spaces. And so I was able to call on them as friends and colleagues to say, hey, let's really work together to build the next generation of incredible nonprofits. And so those are really the two main ways outside of like additional consulting on the side of how I try and help 
nonprofit organizations. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. And I know firsthand the benefit of being part of communities that support one another. And I understand the nonprofit world can be really lonely in some aspects. So I'm in a mastermind too. And I realized, I was like, if the only way I am going to get better is if I invest in myself. And just like what you said with community, the it's amazing the coaches that are in my mastermind, but I'm learning so much from the intimate group of women, minds around female entrepreneurship, from the women that are in the group that have the similar problems that I do. And it's like, oh, I'm not alone. <laughs> like someone else can resonate with what I'm talking about. I'm not the only person because especially now working from home and as a solo entrepreneur, we're not talking about these issues with a lot of other people. So sometimes you feel just like what you said, so alone that it's nice to have relationships in the community with others to bounce off ideas or challenges or even like celebrate the successes with honestly too. Yeah, that's amazing. And especially for these people that are going to join this mastermind, they're going to have access to resources that they may never been able to access before joining this group. So I'm really excited that you're launching that. So we have a variety of listeners. Some people are looking to start their own initiative right now. And some people are well on their way to growing their organization or business. And some people are looking to scale. So what would you say to those who are listening today and are looking to start or grow or scale their own socially impactful movement? Yeah, good question. It's interesting because I've been doing a lot of work on this specific topic in relation to planning out the programming and the direction for the mastermind. And I've been doing a lot of research and reading also from other thought leaders in the space. And what's really stood out to me when you look at, this is for-profit and nonprofit, is kind of these four key areas of an organization that you should really focus on. The first one is your brand. So something that if you think about any of the Top, I mean, what's the top brand here in your mind, Sean? Yeah, instantly. Um, let's say Uber. Uber. Okay, amazing. So Uber or the Nikes of the world or Chick-fil-A or any of these prominent brands, they've done a really good job at having their own distinct brand voice and style and personality. If you look at, I think Chick-fil-A is a funny one because if you look at their billboards, A, they have that really distinct font that's like the chicken font or the cow font. And then you have the, they never spell anything the right way. You look at any of these main brands and they've been very diligent at creating a brand voice that is their own, that then a, either a consumer, a donor, a volunteer, a sponsor, then they can align with it. And I think with that comes when you build a strong brand, it builds your trustworthiness and your credibility and your ability to create really great storytelling. So if you look at, I mean, in the for-profit space, I was reading this great book called Obsessed by Emily Hayward. And she runs an agency that's helped create brands that we are obsessed with, like Casper, Allbirds. I think she lists in her book, Warby Parker. And it's true. Like, why do we have such an affinity for these organizations? So it's based upon like their mission, their why, the brand voice, the visual identity, all of that is so important. And so I think number one is brand. So that's number one in ter- at any stage, really. If you're scaling, if you're growing, if you're starting, I think a great place to start is with a brand voice exercise. Awesome. Yeah. So brand identity and storytelling and really understanding who you're looking to reach and how you communicate with them is so important for brands. Like you said, no matter what stage they're in. 
Okay, so let's say we got our brand down and we feel pretty confident there. What's next? Oh, I love number two. It's team. So you have to have the right people on your staff to accomplish what you want to achieve, right? I love there's a gentleman named Dan Pallotta, and he has this TED Talk, and he's written a couple books, I believe. And he kind of stands out as this nonprofit innovator in the space. And he has this amazing quote that I always love to talk about. It says, nonprofits don't dream because they're afraid to dream because if something goes wrong, it's with donor dollars. But in the corporate space, if something goes wrong, like, okay, it's a, it's a press release for a day and then it goes away. It doesn't really matter. The ironic part of this is in the nonprofit space, we are so like feel controlled about the operations expenses. And what's weird about that is if you don't have the right team members, how are you supposed to execute the work to solve large global societal problems, right? It's like ironic. The social problems around the world are massive, but the nonprofits that are like diving in and it's their sole focus to help are usually compared to like global conglomerates, right? Are so small and they struggle to scale because of this like old school ratio conversation around, oh, well, nonprofit staff can't make this much money on their salary, which is crazy to me, especially because a board of directors on nonprofits work for big companies <laughs> and like they're hired by their company, hopefully making a good salary because they're great at what they do and they're able to make change in their organization. Right? So I think we really have to rethink operations and scaling and building a team that's going to allow you to do incredible work and allow you to dream and allow you to take risks because we're never going to solve big societal problems if we don't bring in great people to do the work and great people need to be compensated equally. So I think that's something really interesting is your team. Bring in the right people to be able to help you to succeed and to thrive. Yeah, that's so important. And so in terms of what you do with your clients related to team, what would you say, what are some of the first maybe team members that we need to have on board or how should you spend time investing in growing your team? Yeah, so I think something that has to start at the very beginning or else it'll never happen is re-educating your board, um, re-educating donors. I think it's shifting as like millennials and Gen Z are becoming donors for organizations. I would never ask a nonprofit, oh, well, how much does your CEO make or how much does so-and-so make? Like if they're doing an incredible job, they deserve to get paid, right? So I think... A friend of mine who's another consultant and coach, she is brilliant about shifting the language about 100% of your donation supports our organization, meaning it goes to effectively and efficiently addressing the issue of blank and serving blank, right? So it's valuing the work of all of the staff instead of saying, oh, only a certain amount can go to operations. Story, Charity Water are examples of this where they have two separate budgets. They are bank accounts. They have a bank account specific for operations and they have a bank account specific for programs. And sometimes, like News Story CEO just gave a brilliant interview. His name is Brett. And he talked about sometimes our staff expenses are going to be higher one year because we're building really innovative things to change and make an impact in the work that we're doing. So it'll fluctuate. 
but it's about communicating that to your board. And I think I'm working with a nonprofit right now on a virtual event. And they said, well, one of our main needs is we really need to hire staff, but I don't know if we want to say that. And I said, well, why not? Why not? You, you need the capacity. You can't, you can't run more programs without bodies <laughs> to do the work. And we need to say that. Like, and with what we just went through with the pandemic and a ton of people lost their jobs, you are providing jobs to people. That's an incredible story to tell. And you're affecting their lives. So I was like, don't shy away from that at all. Tell your donors you're going to use this money to hire people. And if they're the right donors and they really believe in your mission, they're going to support you no matter what. So when it comes to when you ask, like, who would you hire first? I think it depends upon the organization. But obviously, I think digital. We've seen this, especially the past year. If you're not thinking digital first and thinking forward, you're only sustaining nonprofits of the past, which is something that another colleague of mine has said as well is how are we thinking about the future generation of what donors are going to be expecting from us and are our teams and our systems and processes set up for those new donors. Right. And I think this past year has in so many ways fast forwarded the ways we communicate online and the expectations people have for brands and organizations. And so it's a really important investment to think about your digital strategy. And like you said, there's so many organizations like Charity Water and New Story and that are inspiring the way. So next, we have our brand. We're feeling relatively confident around our brand. And we've established a team that seems to be appropriate for our mission and what we're looking to accomplish. What would you say is next? So once you have brand and team established, is your tech in your systems. So especially in this past year and going forward, I say your website and your social media channels are your storefronts. It's anytime, and you might realize this too, anytime someone, a friend or a family member or colleague says to me, hey, you should check out this new brand or you should check out this whatever, the first thing I'm going to do is open up my phone, which is another key thing here, open up my phone and I'm going to go to the website or I'm going to open up Instagram in my case. So is a, is your website mobile friendly? What do your social channels look like? Can I easily tell what your mission is and who you are? So on this, on the basic side, those are, that's tech right there. In the nonprofit world outside of your website and social channels, which a website to do it right can be a big undertaking. Like, do you have a great donation, like widget and button and process? Because I think there's a stat that I was listening to that 15% maybe of people convert. So they get to the page, but they're not going through the whole process. Why? Right? Do you have a really long, daunting form (laughs) that someone has to look at? And I see that. I'm like, oh, man, please no. (laughs) Um, And then you, you get deterred and you go away from it. Other systems to have a great CRM platform that's really tracking your donor management and having a funnel. And then... You need to have a system that helps you as much as you can. A, follow someone through the entire donor donor journey and automate things whenever possible. We see this a lot of times in the for-profit space with like email funnels, right? So there's an email sequence as soon as you sign up, instead of just getting a one-time email, they've set up like nine emails over the course of three months to send you, but they've prepped that. 
this should also exist in the nonprofit space. I remember last year I gave to an organization and then I never heard from them ever again. Never followed up, never heard about the impact of what they're working on. Yeah. And I literally had to, this year, when we're thinking about the organizations we want to give to, I was like, what would, I didn't even remember the name of the organization we gave to. I was so excited about them in the moment, but I was like, wait. And I asked my husband, I was like, who, who did we give to? And I literally had to go through our bank statements. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So putting in these, like, make it easier for yourself, like, Spend the money at the beginning to set up an automation process because you want someone to continue to know who you are and what you're doing with the funds that they've received. So these technology and systems are so important in 2021 to implement. It's almost like bare minimum, right? We definitely need a website. We need our social profiles to be reflective of who we are. And then we need to do some basic follow-up. Like you said, if it's a storefront, you don't want people to walk into store and then feel ignored or that there's no one even in the room. You know, you're making a contribution and it's so important that you know that you're reached out to and that you feel valued and appreciated for doing that. But also if you've made one contribution and you see the impact of it, you'll likely give again. So it's really important that you have these things set up. I think one of the benefits to organizations working with consultants like yourself is, you know, they might not need to do the research into all 15 of the giving platforms or the 20 different website options and however many CRM platforms there are. So do you have off the top of your head any tools that you use in your own business or ones that you'd recommend to your clients that are really like your go-to tools that you can't live without? Yeah, so mine are a little bit different just because of what nonprofits need versus what I need. But even though I'm a one-woman shop, essentially, is I use something called HoneyBooks, which automates, if someone fills out a form, it automatically sends them an email, which automatically asks them if they want to schedule a calendar invite that automatically comes onto my calendar. Then after that invite, I have a form that's set up so I can just trigger it to push that continues that conversation that then triggers the contract, right? Everything flows. And it's like, I spent a lot of time to set it up, but then once it's on, I don't have to, I don't have to rewrite a contract every single time. I don't have to, right. I don't have to manually go in and send a calendar invite. It's all done. Um, so HoneyBook does that for me and it syncs with QuickBooks to process payments and everything like that. One that's great for, there's a bunch of great CRMs for nonprofits, but I love Fundraise. Justin Wheeler is the CEO of that company and they've done a really great job at really creating something that's user-friendly for donors around their donation system. The back end, they have like intelligence also, like donor intelligence. So that's one. Classy is another. Give Butter is another one that's great. That's free. In terms of, I've been producing a lot of virtual events for nonprofits. And so I've done a ton of research on virtual event platforms. And there are a lot of, yeah, those are a few that I would say. I mean, I use Slack to stop answering a bazillion emails if possible with the freelancers that I have. I'm just throwing out a few here, but Loom. Loom is great where I think anytime you have a new staff member come on, you don't want to have to retrain them with everything over and over again. So if you can create on Loom, essentially you can record yourself and your screen or just the screen sharing how to do something. And then if you save that video, then anytime you have a new onboard, you can say, Hey, watch these five videos that are going to teach you how to do X, Y, and Z of our CRM or how to use our email platform. So make it 
spend the time on what are the things that are repeatable and that you might have somebody new come in. And again, it's, it's automation. You do it once and then it's done and it's saving your, yourself time on the back end. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so important. I mean, some people have like this, I don't know, this triggering response to automation because they feel like it's not personal, but automation can be such an important role in your business. I mean, you and myself were primarily one person shows and time is a limited resource, right? So these tools give us time back. And in the nonprofit world, if you have more time, you can do more things. It's great because someone's not waiting for me to email them. Someone's not waiting for me to send them an invite, right? It's automatic. They're picking what works for them. It's set up, it's done. It makes it easier for all parties involved. Absolutely. And then everything, like you said, from Slack to Loom, like the way we communicate is changing. And especially this past year with remote work, like these tools are in our tool belt to empower us to communicate better and to collaborate better. I swear I use Loom every single day because, you know, I don't even have to schedule meetings and it, it takes time, you know, to do that. And if I don't have to schedule a meeting and I can shoot a video to communicate a little bit of info, then it can really be a lifesaver for teams. There's another good one too, actually called Video Ask. And I love this one because you can record a video of yourself and you can send it out to multiple people and an email and it just embeds into your email or you can do one-on-ones and you can add like copy at the top and then someone can reply right back to you either with another video or with text. I've done this a lot with my online courses to get kind of feedback or testimonials. I'll say like, hey, on camera. And it makes it so much more personal. Like, hey, what did you think? I'd love your feedback. What was your favorite part? And then they can immediately just click reply and either type or record a quick like selfie video back to me. So I love that tool as well. That's a great one. Like you said, at the beginning of the interview, relationships are so important. And I've had some really good interactions using Video Ask where I've been on both ends. Either I've shot a video, I've watched a video for someone. And it's immediately like that first interaction with a brand and a person. And now I feel like I, I know the person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you can humanize a company or an organization is really important. Awesome. So thank you for sharing those tools with us. I'll include some of those links in the show notes because I know probably listening to this, some people are going to go download Loom or go look at Fundraise, right? Because they're sick of their own fundraising tool or CRM. Okay, so tech and systems. So we have brand, we have team, and now we're getting our team up and running on these new kinds of technology and systems. What is next? So the last one that I think really helps to create a movement really within within your organization, that's what we're all looking for, is this idea of, it's community, but I think of it almost as fandom in a way. And I kind of believe that a community really forms around a common goal and is telling your story on your behalf. That's a successful community. When I worked with Movember, they're amazing at this. They have a whole, like, like thousands, millions, maybe Mobros and Mosistas, they call them, that are fundraising on their behalf every Movember, AKA November. And A friend of mine, he's one of the guest coaches as well, Cameron Barlett. He says your best creative accomplishments should be to create creators. So you're doing your job as a marketer when you've created a solid brand, you have a great team working, you have the right tech and systems, and you're building a community of people who want to share about your organization, right? For you. 
So what I always think about this is a question, how are you inviting supporters and people to be a part of your story? How do they get included in the story? So it becomes their story instead of yours. Which is a huge distinction. Yes, it is a huge distinction because when you think about it, so an example with Movember is, so I consulted with them for about three years. And in the third year, when I was helping run their North America digital campaign, my one their cause areas, for anybody who's not familiar with them, is they work in the men's health space. So their causes are prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, and suicide prevention. And they have programs that address all of those. And so during this time frame, I found out that my dad got diagnosed with prostate cancer. And so immediately the cause became my story. And I was, I was reaching out and utilizing all of their tools that are in the prostate cancer area. And so then I was talking about November in such a different light because I've been personally affected by their, or by the cause that they're working with. So it's where do you invite people to have that conversation? Are you asking them for their stories? Are you asking them to share? Movember is a great one because their fundraising model is peer to peer. You create a fundraising page. You tell your story. You're putting up photos of you growing your mo, and you're sharing about why you're invested with the organization and you're bringing friends and family on board with you. So I think peer to peer is a massively underutilized fundraising capability to grow and scale supporters and your online storytelling. I definitely agree. And that being said, it's really difficult to do, right? Yes. I would say your brand has to be there first, right? Your brand has to be strong to be able to provide your community, right? With the right assets and storytelling components. It's kind of like all these elements we talked about beforehand need to be set up before you can probably do community really well. I would also say in like the simplest terms, if you think about, so the ALS iceberg challenge that happened in 2014, which is crazy that it's been so long. All of the Facebook fundraising tools didn't exist until that happened. That challenge, I think is what we kind of look at as one of the very first movements. And then it was like, actually Coney 2012 was even before that. So, and then the Lance Armstrong bracelets, remember those yellow bracelets that came out? All of these things, we all somehow got attached to, and it's like, why? Why were we all so excited to be a part of these stories? And it's really, it comes out when you're around your friends and they're asking you to participate in something. And so in the simplest terms, what I was going to say is, like Facebook fundraisers are created around people's birthdays a lot of times. And that on a simple term is a way to create a community around a cause with individuals who might have no idea what the cause is, but they're willing to support their friend. So it's interesting. I really think social media has, there are negatives of course, but it's really empowered us to be individual storytellers and create incredible communities around the globe around certain causes yeah we've seen so many good ways social media has been used to empower people this year and like you said tech and systems are so important and these things can be utilized to create communities online and i know some people might be listening to this today and they may be saying that you know my organization 
isn't big enough to create like this viral movement, like the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. But I think that no matter what the size of the organization, there are people that care about these causes and these initiatives. And if you can empower people to tell a story, then that story can carry so much further. And no matter what your size, you can build community around your organization or your cause. And what's interesting about that is if you actually dissect the ALS challenge, it started from one individual person. It wasn't started by the organization. And it was like, I think it was actually started by a tweet that ended up being brought onto Facebook. I think it was like a golfer, if I'm saying this right, it was a golfer in Florida who tweeted and then someone in New York in like upstate New York posted about it on Facebook and then it just kind of like blew up from there. But it wasn't, it wasn't an organization saying we're going to start a movement. It naturally happened. But I think that's the beautiful thing that happens with a lot of these is it just kind of catches fire. And then it's for us to look back and say and dissect like, okay, why did this catch fire? What made this take off like it did? And how can we try and create something like this in our organization? I love that. Yeah, because that's a whole nother thing, like implementing social listening and listening to your people aside from just kind of navel gazing, right at your own goals and objectives and trying to start something, you know, you can miss out on opportunities if you don't listen to the people that you're actually trying to work with and actually trying to serve and reach. So I think that's an incredible example. Well, awesome. These were really helpful. Brand, team, tech systems, community. I think anyone listening here today can take a look at one of these things and say, how can I grow how we implement our brand and everything that we can do? Or how can we grow our team to empower people and like what you said, get the right people around to really rally around our mission and execute what we're doing and run our campaigns. And what are the tools that I could literally sign up for today and it could take away some headaches from our team? Or what are some of the ways that we can integrate community into what we're doing? I think these are four really key aspects that you're talking about here. So before we wrap up, I mean, is there anything else that you'd like to share? I mean, I would just say we're never going to be solving world problems unless we are innovating, collaborating with others, I think is a big one. There are, I mean, look at water, like the water crisis. There are probably hundreds, if not thousands of organizations that are all focused on water what would happen if everyone came together and worked together? Corporations are really stepping up to the plate as well. So I think it's saying, hey, company, let's partner together. We've already done so much research. You don't have to do the research. We'll be your partner. We'll join with you. Kind of like activate your employees and activate your C-suite and really focus on this. So I'd say, don't be afraid to take risks and really like open up your eyes to see What are other collaborations with like-minded companies or nonprofits that you could partner with to do more good together? That's so good. And like I said, there's really no playbook for this past year that we've experienced. And now we're moving into this upcoming year. I think if, you know, like you've, say you've listened to this podcast episode and you have this gut feeling that you're supposed to 
try something, go ahead and do it. And like you said, collaborations, I think with this past year, some really important topics and conversations that have been brought to the forefront of the public dialogue. And I think that creates an opportunity for brands to engage with social topics and collaborate with various nonprofits or organizations to bring some attention to that cause and really advance some things. So good. So tell us a little bit about where we can find you online. And if someone is here and they want to learn a little bit more about you, participate in one of your courses or even this upcoming program that you have, where can we find you? Yeah. So positiveequation.com on everything. I usually spend most of my time, you can find me on LinkedIn at Dana Snyder or Positive Equation on social channels. And then the Missions to Movements Mastermind is going to launch in May. And so it's an intimate group. So check that out. And it's just positiveequation.com backslash mastermind. Cool. Well, Dana, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was really fun to talk with you. And if you're listening today, definitely check out Positive Equation on social media and go on Dana's website. And if this program that she has coming up sounds interesting to you, definitely look into that. It sounds like an amazing experience. Dana, thank you so much. It was really great talking to you today. Thanks, Sean. All right. Awesome episode with Dana Snyder. Brand, team, tech and systems, community. Those are really important things to consider no matter what stage you're in. And I hope this gives you an idea of what to expect from this podcast, because I think it's important to not only share the people who are out there with creative and innovative solutions to some of the world's biggest problems, but also people that have experience working with some of the, the world's largest organizations and the people that know what is really required to bring some of this change and have skills that we can tap into and learn from. So thanks for listening. I really appreciate your support of the podcast. If you want to help grow the reach of this show, one of the best things that you can do is leave a review on iTunes. And you can do that right through your phone. It only takes a couple minutes. And another way is to just share this podcast with a friend. If there's someone that comes to mind when you're listening that would benefit from this, or you know they have an idea that they're looking to make a reality, or they're working in a purpose-driven organization, then I think this would be a great podcast for them to listen to. So thanks again, and see you next week.